0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Mishpatim, loving the stranger. There are commands that leap off the page by their sheer moral power. So it is in the case of the social legislation in Mishpatim. Amid the complex laws relating to the treatment of slaves, personal injury and property, one command in particular stands out by virtue of its repetition. It appears twice in our Parsha. And equally important is the historical, psychological reasoning that lies behind it. Here it is for the first time. Don't ill-treat a stranger or oppress him for you were strangers in Egypt. And here is the second time, which is really remarkable. Do not oppress a stranger because atem et you know how it feels like to be a stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. Mishpatim contains many laws of social justice against taking advantage of a widow of or orphan, for example, or charging interest on a loan to a fellow member of the covenantal community against bribery and injustice and so on. The first and last of these laws, however, is the repeated command against harming a ger, a stranger, because clearly something fundamental is at stake in the Torah's vision of a just and gracious social order. If a person was a son of proselytes, don't taunt him by saying, "'Remember the deeds of your ancestors.'" because it's written, don't ill-treat a stranger or oppress him. The sages noted this repeated emphasis on the stranger in biblical law. According to Rabbi Eliezer, the terror warns against the wronging of a ger in 36 places. Others say in 46 places. Whatever the precise number, the repetition throughout the Mosaic books is remarkable. Sometimes the stranger is mentioned along with the poor, At others with the widow and orphan. On several occasions, the Torah specifies you must have the same law for the strangers as for the native-born. Not only must a stranger not be wronged, he or she must be included in the positive welfare provisions of the Israelite or Jewish society. But the law goes beyond this. The stranger must be loved. That we learn from Parshas Kedoshim, When a stranger lives with you in your land, don't mistreat him. The stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This provision appears in the same chapter, as the command you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Later in Sefer Devarim, Moses makes it clear that this is the attribute of God himself. Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are strangers, for you yourself were strangers in Egypt. What's the logic of the command? The most profound commentary is that given by Nachmanides. The correct interpretation appears to me that he is saying, don't wrong a stranger or oppress him, thinking as you might, that none can deliver him out of your hand. For you know that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I saw the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed you, and I avenged your cause on them, because I behold the tears of such who are oppressed and have no comforter. Likewise. Likewise. You shall not afflict the widow or orphan, because I will hear the cry. For all these people rely on them not on themselves, but on their trust in me. And in another verse he added this reason. For you know what it feels like to be a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That is to say, you know that every stranger feels depressed and is always sighing and crying, and his eyes are always directed towards God. Therefore, he will have mercy on him, even as he showed mercy to you. According to Nachmanides, the command has two dimensions. The first is the relative powerlessness of the stranger. He or she isn't surrounded by family, friends, neighbors, a community of those ready to come to their defense. Therefore, the terror warns against wronging them because God has made himself protector of those who have no one else to protect them. This is the political dimension of the command. The second reason, as we've already noted, is the psychological vulnerability of the stranger. The stranger is one who lives outside the normal securities of home and belonging. It's what Moses felt like when he was living among the Midianites and he names his first son Gershom because I'm a stranger in a strange land. He or she is or feels alone and throughout the Torah, god is especially sensitive to the sigh of the oppressed the feelings of the rejected the cry of the unheard that's the emotive dimension of the command rabbi Chaim ibn atar the ora Chaim, adds a further fascinating insight it may be he says that the very sanctity that the israelites feel as children of the covenant may lead them to look down on those who lack a similar lineage Therefore, they're commanded not to feel superior to the gear, but instead remember the degradation their ancestors experienced in Egypt. As such, it becomes a command of humility in the face of strangers. Whichever way we look at it, there's something striking about this almost endlessly iterated concern for the stranger, together with the historical reminder that you yourselves were slaves in Egypt. It's as if in this series of laws we're nearing the core of the mystery of Jewish existence itself. What is the Torah implying? Concern for social justice wasn't unique to Israel. What we sense, however, throughout the early biblical narrative is the lack of basic rights to which outsiders could appeal. Not by accident is the fate of Sodom and the cities of the plain sealed when they attempt to Assault Lot's two visitors. Nor can we fail to feel the risk to which Abraham and Isaac believe they're exposed when they're forced to leave home and take refuge in Egypt or the land of the Philistines. In each of the three episodes, Genesis 12, 20, and 26, they're convinced that their lives are at stake, that they may be murdered so that their wives can be taken into the royal harem. There are also repeated implications in the story of the Joseph story, which is that in Egypt, Israelites were regarded as pariahs. The word Hebrew, like the term Hapiru, found in the non-Israelite literature of the period, seems to have had a strong negative connotation. One verse in particular, when the brothers visit Joseph a second time, indicates the distaste with which they were regarded. They served him, Joseph, by himself, the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians wet with him by themselves because Egyptians couldn't eat with Hebrews. For that is detestable to Egyptians. So it was in the ancient world. Hatred of the foreigner is the oldest of passions, going back to tribalism and the prehistory of civilization. The Greeks called strangers barbarians because of what seemed to be, to them, outlandish speech that sounded like the bleating of sheep. The Romans were equally dismissive of the non-Hellenistic races. The pages of history are stained with blood, spilled in the name of racial or ethnic conflict. It was precisely this to which the Enlightenment, the new age of reason, promised an end. But it didn't happen. In 1789, in revolutionary France, as the rights of man were being pronounced, riots broke out against the Jewish community in Alsace. Hatred against English and German immigrants persisted throughout the 19th century. In 1881 in Marseille, a crowd of 10,000 went on a rampage attacking Italians and their property. Dislike of the unlike is as old as mankind. This fact lies at the very heart of the Jewish experience. It's no coincidence that Judaism was born in two journeys away from the two greatest civilizations of the ancient world Abraham's from Mesopotamia, Moses and the Israelites from Egypt of the Pharaohs. The Torah is the world's great protest against empires and imperialism. There are many dimensions to this process, but above all is the use of power against the powerless the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, and that's what we have to show, is the wrong way, and there is another way. To be a Jew is to be a stranger. It's hard to avoid the conclusion that this is why Abraham was commanded to leave his land, home, and father's house, why long before Joseph was born, Abraham was already told that his descendants would be strangers in the land, not their own, why Moses had to suffer personal exile, before assuming the leadership of the people, why the Israelites underwent persecution before inheriting their own land, and why the terror is so insistent that this experience, the retelling of the story on Pesach with the never-to-be-forgotten taste of the bread of affliction and the bitter herbs of slavery, should become a permanent part of their collective memory. It's terrifying in retrospect. To grasp how seriously the terror took the phenomenon of xenophobia, hatred of the stranger. It's as if the terror were saying with the utmost clarity, reason is insufficient, sympathy is inadequate. Only the force of history and memory is strong enough to form a counterweight to hate. The terror asks, why shouldn't you hate the stranger? Because you once stood where he stands now. You know the heart of the stranger because you were once a stranger in Egypt. If you're human so is he. If, his, if he is less than human, so are you. You must fight the hatred in your heart as I once fought the greatest ruler and the strongest empire in the ancient world on your behalf. I made you into the world's archetypal strangers so that you would fight for the rights of strangers, for your own and those of others, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever the color of their skin or the nature of their culture Because though they are not in your image, says God, they are nonetheless in mine. There's only one reply strong enough to answer the question, why shouldn't I hate the stranger? Because the stranger is me. Shabbat shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash ccfamilyedition edition.